Hey everyone, welcome to Huron Chapel. We're so glad you could join us for today's podcast. If you have any questions or want to learn how you can be more engaged with our church, check us out online at huronchapel.com. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's podcast. Well, I'm gonna, I want to have you follow along in 1 Samuel chapter 1 today, and it's on page 229 in the Bible in the chair in front of you, 229, I think. And the, the scriptures won't be up on the screen. They're not in notes, because I want you to really follow along and, uh, with me in 1 Samuel chapter 1. Andrew mentioned about next week, Thanksgiving Sunday. I want to encourage you to be here. This is a message I was telling the group at prayer that I did once 10 years ago. And, I, and it wasn't my idea. I was visiting a church in Columbus, Ohio at a, and, um, at a conference for evangelism and sharing faith. And I stayed for the church service, and the pastor, Mark Fuller, did this message. My friend Dave and I were there and went, wow, we got to try that. So we did try it. And my, la- my church out west about 10 years ago made a great impact in the church. Uh, Glenda said it was one of the five messages that really drew her to God. So I, and I thought, wow, it worked really well. It's very risky, but it worked. And I thought, well, I'll never want to risk that again until next Sunday. <laughs> so we'll see. It'll be really good. Or what? It will be. So come for Thanksgiving Sunday. I think you'll love it. You'll never forget it. It's very, uh, it makes a great impact. So we're in the third week of our response series. And the three main players we've been introduced to, one, Elkanah, a man uh, who's not known, not, we don't really know much about him, except he has a wife named Hannah. He loves Hannah very much. But Hannah's in anguish because she's not able to have children. Uh, so what Elkanah, Elkanah did something that God never really promoted, but was acceptable back in the culture in that day. He took another wife as well, and her name was Paniah, and she was able to have children. And so those are the three people we have, Elkanah, the husband, Hannah, the wife without children, and then uh, Pen- uh, Peninnah, I guess would be a good way to say her name, had many children. So we're in 1 Samuel chapter 1, let's read verses 3 to 6. So this is what they did every year. Each year, Elkanah would travel to Shiloh to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of Heaven's armies. So every year they would go to the Shiloh, this, this, where the tabernacle was, to have feasts, and all the people would come. And I want you to do me a favor. If you underline in your Bibles, we don't do this, but underline the Lord of Heaven's armies. That's a very significant. We're going to talk about that later uh, in the message. So they, they and, the, and then the priests of the Lord at the time were the two sons of Eli. He was a priest, and he had two sons named Hophni and Phinehas. And on the day Elkanah presented his sacrifice, he would give portions of meat to Peninnah and each of her children. And though he loved Hannah, he would only give her one portion because the Lord had given her no children. So Peninnah would taunt Hannah and make fun of her because the Lord had kept her from having children. Some of your Bible, some of the versions you would have would say this in verse 6, The Lord closed her womb. And this is God's way of saying to Hannah at this time, wait. I hate waiting. I hate waiting in lines. If my wife calls out amen anytime, you just know she's speaking the truth. Border crossings are an exercise in frustration for me. I hate when someone says, meet me here at such and such a time, such and such a place, and I'm there and they're not there, and I'm waiting. I'm the guy behind you in the express lane. With my 12 items or less. <laughs> Watching you with your 26 items. Unloading them on the cash register. I'm not patient. I hate 
waiting. I don't like it. But I know there are many times when God says to me, wait. You need to wait. And other times when God's answer to my pleas and my prayers to him is this, wait. Have you ever um, visited a shopping mall and maybe your time's not, is, is limited and it's a mall you've never been to before and you're going in? This happened to Glenda and I recently. And so you want to get to a store you want to find out if the small has a store, and you know they're about the store's about to close. So you stand there and you look down this hall and say, I "Wonder if the store's down this hall, or is it down this big hall? Is it on this side of the mall, or is it on the other side of the mall? Is it on the upper level, or it's on the lower level?" So what do you do? Yeah, women go to the directory. <laughs> See, a woman said that. <laughs> Men, we follow along, okay? <laughs> right. And you look for that store on the directory on the map, and you notice there's a number section. This store is a number 302, and you find out in the map where 302 is. So now you know where the store is. But before you can get there, you first have to find that little colored circle on the map directory that says, you are here. You've been there. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. So now you know where to go, but before you can get there, you've got to know where you are. Um, you need to know where you're, go, where you're going. So once you determine that there is there, you want to spend as little time here as possible. You, you didn't come to stand here and be here. So you quickly start off going to where your destination and your goal lies. And, you know, you relate that to life. Here is not very often a place we want to wait in. And stand around in. Because um, there are things in our lives where we say, I want to be there. And life, there is where I find the right school. There is where I find the right spouse. There is where I have the kids that I want. That's where I have, there is where the job I want to have, the promotion I deserve. There is the way I, I look, that I want to look. There's the place where I want to live. And then God comes and says to you, Wait. Wait here. Would you hear my confession this morning? And maybe sharing this with you, you would say, this, this would be mine as well. I've been guilty of this. I, I've been guilty of focusing so much time and energy and wanting to be there, where that might be, when God says and wants me to wait here. I spent so much time and energy there. God said, no, let's, I, want you to, I want you to learn something here. But I hate waiting here. And the rest of my confession to you would be this. I've come to learn that and to value here because here is where God meets me and prepares me for there. How many times does that happen in our lives? I want to go there now. God says, no, you wait. And you find out why. Because he's preparing you, helping you, meeting you for the, to get ready for there. Here is where God gives me promises. That place of waiting is where God gives us promises, and we need to receive them. I've been thinking of this one this week in Isaiah 40, 31. You know this one. It says, but for those who trust in the Lord, it starts off with, but those, oh, can we get the slides going there? But those who trust in the Lord. And some of your Bible versions will say this, those who wait upon the Lord. The verse begins saying, you know, you are here. 
This is where you are right now. And what you can do while you're here is you can trust in the Lord. You can wait upon the Lord. But listen to the promises for those who trust him and wait upon him here. This is what they can expect. If you wait and trust him now, they will find new strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. So you trust God here, you wait on him, upon him here, and you find strength, you soar on wings like eagles, you run and not grow weary, you walk, you don't grow faint. But first you need to trust and wait upon me here now, God says. I was reading the Bible this week in the book of Lamentations. Uh, listen to what it says about those times when you feel hopeless, those times when, when you feel like you, know, you are here, and you don't want to be here, you know where you want to be, and you feel like you know, nothing's going to change. I love this. I read this this week. It says, I'll never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. That's anguish. That's what we're talking about today. Yet I still dare to hope. Why? When I remember this, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. And I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who depend on him, right? Trust in him, wait on him. To those who search for him. So listen to this line. So it is good to wait quietly for the salvation from the Lord. Go read that passage every morning and tell me it, doesn't, it will not change you. You reflect on that, you pray that, you listen to that, you read it over and over again. So we're back to 1 Samuel. Let's go to verses 7 and 8. So year after year, it was the same. Peninnah, who had all the children, would taunt Hannah, who had none, as they went to the tabernacle to worship. And each time Hannah would be reduced to tears and, and would not even eat. Why are you crying, Hannah? El- Elkanah, her husband asked. Why are you not eating? Why be downhearted just because you have no children? You have me. Isn't that better than having ten sons? Why don't I hear women laughing? I don't hear any guys. I was not expecting that. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I think I better change the whole message here. We better start. <laughs> Hannah was barren, and for Peninnah, this is a chance to taunt her and mock her. And we read in verse 3 how the family comes up to this place to worship, to worship God. And you can imagine Peninnah saying, what have you got to worship God for? Come on. Or, you know, it's interesting, Hannah's name actually means, translates as grace or favor. So you can almost hear Peninnah saying to, to Hannah, what favor is God showing you? He closed your womb. Hannah was barren for her husband, Elkanah. It was a reason to pity her. He would say, why aren't you eating? Why be downhearted just because you have no children? You have me. Isn't that better than having ten sons? And perhaps Elkanah said, wants Hannah to be more interested in him than the fact that she is childless. Hannah is barren, and for her, it was reason to pray. If God closed her womb, then maybe God might also open her womb. So verses 9 and 10, let's read that in 1 Samuel chapter 1. After the sacrificial meal at Shiloh, where they go to worship, and Hannah got up and went to pray. Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. When you look up the word barrenness to understand what it means, one of the definitions that you'll come across is the word unproductive. And who of us in life want to be or feel like we're unproductive? I don't think any of us do. Barrenness, however, in the Old Testament had added meaning. The people knew that God had promised 
this Messiah, this Savior, would come through them. God made this promise to Adam, sorry, in Genesis chapter 3. He made this promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 2, that through this, this people, a Messiah, a rescuer, a Savior is going to come and save the world. So before Jesus came, who was that Messiah that we read about today, Andrew read for us today, the people were always looking for a Savior from within Israel, within themselves. So every new birth would raise the question, is this the one? Could this be the one? Could this be the child who God promised us that would come and rescue us? Is this the promised Savior? One commentator said, without children, there was no future for God's people and ultimately no hope for the world. So barrenness was a personal tragedy, just as it is today, but it also carried a sense of exclusion from the purposes of God's people. See, women would have this hope that they would be the one to usher in this Savior to the world. They would have that honor. They would have that privilege. God would use them to bring hope and restoration to all the people. But to be barren meant you're excluded from that hope. Hannah would know God's purposes to bring a Savior through them, but she is being labeled and taunted as being unproductive and contributing to the purpose. Basically, you're being told that you are useless. You have nothing of value to add to what the work that we're doing here, what we're trying to do. How horrible that would be for any of us to feel like we were useless. I hope no one at our church ever feels that way. So Hannah felt, would have felt this. Peniah, you know, she gets to participate. She, she has been given many children. Uh, Peninnah, she's productive. She gets part in, in doing what God is doing. Uh, but I've been taken out of the game. I am not able to participate. However, Hannah may be childless, but she was not prayerless. I don't know if that's a word, prayless or prayerless, but you know what I mean. <coughs> Hannah's prayer, which is a prayer we will see that God answers yes to, arises from, look at verse 10, anguish, deep anguish. Verse 10, bitter weeping. Verse 11, from sorrow. From verse 15, very discouraged. And verse 16, with great anguish. This is a prayer out of anguish, weeping, sorrow, and discouragement. This is here. You are here, Hannah. And this is where she's praying from. And it's the place of anguish. It's a place where she feels totally unable, I guess. But I like the commentator Dale Ralph Davis says. He says, God's tendency is to make our total inability his starting point. I love that. God just, that's kind of the way he works in our life. When we come to our end, life, uh, end of the rope, when we feel totally um, unable, when we feel like we have no ability, that we are totally at the very bottom, that God says, okay, now I can start doing something in your life. And if you're experiencing anguish, that's a great place where you start to be praying very well. Tim Chester writes this, one of the reasons, the main reasons, we do not pray, pray more is we do not feel the need to pray. Hmm. It says we think we can manage without God, and so our prayers end up a duty to perform, a, you know, uh, options in our busy day. Prayer was not a duty or an option for Hannah. She did not get up from the meal because she had realized that she had not had her quiet time that day, it was a cry of an anguished soul. And it, it, Hannah wasn't just like, oh, I, think I haven't done my prayers today. I think I'll go and pray. Or I say I love God. I better spend some time. It was not like, I got to pray. I, I just have this deep despair and this anguish. I got to go and cry out to the Lord. 
And I wonder if there's times you can say, yeah, I, know, I, I know what that feels like. I know what that feels like. The point is this. The cry of a child is really a cry of faith. Because when a child cries, they are believing that someone is there to listen and respond. The cry of prayer is a cry of faith. It arises from a belief that God, the Father, who is able, that is, he's powerful enough, and willing, that is, he's loving enough to answer. That we cry out in despair and anguish. We're just being real before God. We're saying, God, I know you're there. I know you're able, that you have the power to work in my life. And not only are you able, but you're wanting to work in my life. And so I'm crying out. Verse 11, it says, And then she made this vow, O Lord of heaven's armies. I want to stop there. I want to stop there because that's the title again I told you to underline, verse 3, when it, when it said, you know, Elkanah, Hannah, and Peninnah went up to worship God of the Lord, you know, at the tabernacle, they, they called him the Lord of, of heaven's armies. And that's significant because here in 1 Samuel is the first time God's revealed that way. The very first time, verse 3, and then here in this prayer, that God is described as the Lord of heaven's armies. It's a title of a warrior. It is saying God is revealed here as being one who fights on behalf of his people. So in verse 3, Hannah, it says, goes and worships the Lord of armies. And now she's praying to the Lord of armies, of heaven's armies. She worships and prays to God who fights for his people. So in verse 11, and she made this vow, O Lord of heaven's armies, who's able, my warrior, my, my defender, my fighter, if you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. He'll be yours for his entire lifetime. And as a sign that he's, not, that he's been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will never be cut. Well, what does that mean? Uh, Hannah is making something called a Nazarite vow. And Nazarite comes from the Hebrew word Nazar, which means to be separated, to be consecrated, to be set apart. And the Nazarene vow is taken by individuals who would voluntarily say, Lord, I dedicate my life to you. It wasn't something God said, you must do this. It's people saying, I want to do this. It came out of the decision and action and desire of a person who wanted to be fully committed to God. And normally, generally it's made by an individual Again, voluntarily, this is what I want to do. But three times in the Bible, it's parents who make it on behalf of their children. Um, Samuel, as we hear uh, here, um, this place. Also, Samson. Remember Samson? He had the long hair. Uh, his, his mother did that. In the New Testament, John the Baptist as well. Um, his mother made a Nazarite vow. And one of the signs that someone has made this vow that I'm dedicated to God fully is they would not cut their hair. And so you would see them, their hair was not cut. you say, oh, that, 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 that's one of those people who, are, who decided they wanted to fully commit and dedicate their life to God. It was an outward sign of something that happened in here. It's kind of like us wearing a wedding ring today. It's an, it's an outward symbol that's saying, I've set myself apart for this person uh, for my life. So growing your hair and not cutting it became a visible public symbol of what you dedicated to God. And now, this vow that Hannah is willingly and voluntarily making, right, is, is what God wants all his people to do. He's, he's really hoping that people would want to come and say, I want to commit my life to you. I, I want to be fully, fully dedicated to you. I want to trust you here. Even when it's tough, I want to trust you here because I know you will lead me 
to fly on wings like eagles. You will give me strength. You will, you, will, you, will, you will be there for me. And that's why Hannah's blessed in this scripture. This is why she'll be blessed with a son during this darkened period. Remember we, we talked about, and, and chronologically, the very last verse of the book of Judges is how it sets up the whole culture, the whole place for, uh, for this book of 1 Samuel. It said all the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. It was a very dark time. There was no God were following you. So in this barren time of Israelite history, there comes this one. Fourth, to surrender fully to God. And for all tense and purposes, from a worldly perspective, she's unknown, she's a nobody, but God will use this nobody named Hannah to bring a son named Samuel who will impact and bring hope to the people. A son, especially in this culture, is a blessing. It ensured a future. Mary, the mother of Jesus on earth, is given a son. And really, you think about it, she did nothing to gain this honor. She didn't, you know, she, she was a virgin, she wasn't married, and yet God blessed her with a son, and not just any son, but the Son of God, the promised Savior that the people have been waiting for all these years, been talking, is this the one? Is this the one? And then a young teenage woman, who not even married God, conceived in her the Messiah. And that's what, this is what it means to us today, that the Virgin Mary gave birth to a son. That in our lostness, in this separation we have from God because of, because of our sin, we, we, we don't deserve the hope that God wants to give us. We, we, we don't deserve to be rescued, and yet in that, this barren time, in this dark time, a son is born. Our rescuers come. And remember, they called him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And Andrew read for us earlier where the angels announced the arrival of Jesus, our Savior. The angel said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah you've been waiting for all these years is born. He's born in Bethlehem today. Guess where Elkanah was from? And Hannah, the hills of Ephraim where, where Bethlehem is. And you will recognize him by the sign. You will find the baby wrapped snuggly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. And this is the part I want you to know as we read on. Suddenly, the angel was joined by who? A vast of others. What are they called? The armies of heaven. There's that title again. Not that this God is with us, but God is fighting on behalf of his people. Can I tell you, testify to you, the most powerful moment of my week came out of one of the most weakest parts. Um, you know, it's funny how God gives you a message to speak on anguish. And he says, okay, Mark, I just want to give you a little, uh, little experience of this. I'm going to give you anguish this week. And I had anguish. I remember one morning here at the church just praying as Hannah did, Lord, you know, I'm just coming uh, just with this anguish and, and being overwhelmed. And, and God just said, Mark, I want you to read scripture. So I thought, okay, I, I, I got my Bible. I sat in the couch in my office, opened up my Bible randomly, thinking, okay, where should I read? Where should I start reading? And God really led me say, Mark, I want you to read exactly where you opened up to. I want you to go and focus on this side of the page. I want you to go there and read the first thing that comes to your eyes. So I did. It was Isaiah 3.1. My eyes went right to the page, and these are the words I read. The Lord of Heaven's armies. I went. That's it. That's enough. That's all I need to hear. That tells me, Mark, of all the places in the Bible, of all the titles I have, and another place, another book where it says that I'm called the Lord of Heaven's armies. That is where I'm taking you to remind you that I'm with you. I'm fighting on your behalf. You are not alone. That's all I needed to help here. And I don't know if anybody was in the church that day would hear me shout out, "No way! No way!" 
And that's one of those things where, where, you know, when that happens to you, no matter where you are, you're shouting, no way, that can't be cool. What can more anybody else want or ask or hope for to hear God say, I'm with you. I'm fighting for you. You're not alone. I'm a warrior. And God wants every one of us to know that if we would cry out to him, if we would seek him, if we'd wait upon him, if we would trust in him. So you can have that no way moment. 12 to 18, let's read that. As she was praying to the Lord, Eli watched her, seeing her lips moving. This is the priest in the temple. Seeing her lips moving and hearing no sound, Eli, the priest, thought she had been drinking. Must you come here drunk, he demanded. Throw away your wine. Oh, no, sir, she replied. I haven't been drinking wine or anything stronger, but I'm very discouraged. And I was pouring out my heart. Think of that. I was pouring out my heart to the Lord. Don't think I'm a wicked woman, for I've been praying out of great anguish and sorrow. In that case, Eli the priest said, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant the request you have asked of him. Oh, thank you, sir, she exclaimed. Then she went back and began to eat again. Remember, she wasn't eating. And listen to this. And she was no longer sad. So Hannah pours out her heart in great anguish. And then she hears this, this, this voice from the priest. And she goes and eats. She's no longer sad. And I have a question for you. Did the circumstances in her life change yet? No. She's still barren. She still has no children. Her circumstances have not changed whatsoever, but her focus is no longer on this problem. It's not focused on, it is now focused on the one who can solve her problem. And Hannah's making a decision to place her hope and her future and a life upon the Lord of heaven's armies. My warrior, my defender. Hannah has prayed and now she's happy and content and at peace to leave it with God. She really is the poster child for Philippians 4, 6, and 7. You know this verse? It's, it's true. It says, don't worry about anything. <laughs> Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Then you'll experience God's peace. Why don't we do that? Why do we know the verse but never do it? Don't worry about it. Pray about it. Tell God what you need and thank Him. Have faith to thank Him. Then you're going to experience peace. That's what Hannah did. Their circumstances had not changed yet, yet she had peace because she really believed God is my defender. And that peace, it says there, which exceeds anything we can understand, His peace will guard your hearts and minds. Let's listen to this because it's, prom- it's conditional. The promise is conditional as you live in Christ Jesus. So those promises of yours, as you commit, as you dedicate, as you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, that Savior that God promised into the world, His way, His rescue for your life, always has been, always will be, until He comes back someday. So no doubt, there are some of you who find yourself today in a place called here. You are here. And you would say, yeah, I'm experiencing anguish in this place of waiting. And you desperately want to be there because that place, there isn't despair. There isn't a lack of peace. There, there, there's, you want to be there. And you're wondering where God is. And I would tell you, God is here with you. He is with you in the waiting, with you in the anguish. And he says, those who trust upon me here, 
they're going to find strength. That they're going to soar on wings like eagles. They're going to run and not grow weary because they trust in me. They wait upon me. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We make these messages available to give you a window into our church, but also an open doorway for you to enter into our community. Our Sunday services are at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m., and we look forward to seeing you soon. Please remember to visit HuronChapel.com for more information about our church.